my goal is to basically be in the top 100 figure drawers alive. And I think I can do it because I think starting now and with my schedule, I will be able to put in, in terms of hours, in the top 100 alive. Like most people don't draw as much as I do. Even professionals that I talk to, right? They're like, you draw live from a model six hours a week. Like, how do you do that? Don't you have a day job? And I'm like, nope, not really. <laughs> I can basically outcompete basically anybody because I have more time. What is up, you sexy bastards? It is your boy, the crypto farmer, aka Rabbi Kenlos, aka Noah Kagan. In today's episode, I talked to Sahil Lavingia. He is the founder of Gumroad.com. He's the employee number two at Pinterest. He's an artist and he writes amazing tweets. He's kind of basically the modern day Steve Jobs. I love this guy. And every time I get to have a conversation with him. Now in March, his company Comrade raised $5 million in 12 hours. I also invested. Also, Sophil is launching his first book. I bought it. I haven't fully devoured it, but I love all his material. I think it's gonna be a phenomenal book. It is The Minimalist Entrepreneur, How Great Founders Do More With Less. In our conversation today, he talks about how he only works a few hours a week and has an amazing life. It's really, really exciting. And he shares exactly how he does it in The Minimalist Entrepreneur. I recommend you check it out. Now, if you've ever wanna learn how to stop doing things that drain your energy and run a company that doesn't require meetings, you are gonna love this episode. His conversation with him has stuck with me over the past week since I've talked with him. Now, here's three things you're gonna learn. Number one, the value of observation and visualization. Two, investing money versus spending money. And three, how to create the life you want to live and not the life you should live. Damn, this is a good conversation. Enjoy this plus a bunch more ear nuggets along the way. Before we dive into the show, AppSumo is giving away a million dollars. That's like a thousand tacos with gold on them. If you have an ebook, if you're a creator, if it's software, if you have any digital product that help other entrepreneurs and small business owners, you should be a part of this. Go to appsumo.com slash BFF and submit your product today. We're only giving out a million. So once it's gone, it's gone. And I'm going to be asking you for some money. So appsumo.com slash BFF. Go submit, get your business off the ground, or if it's already off the ground, get it growing. Also, a special pre-show shout out to the listener Spartan2712. It's a great podcast. I've been listening to Noah's podcast for some time now. It has been a really great tool that I've used personally with my own business. He's very practical and funny. I highly recommend it. Noah's legit. Damn, that was nice, man. That made my afternoon. I appreciate you and every other one of you gorgeous listeners. If you want a shout out in a future episode, you know, leave a review anywhere online. I check every single one of them. Have you been in like back-to-back -back meetings or what's your day been like? Uh, I just got back from a figure drawing session uh, for three hours. So I was basically just been drawing a naked uh, woman for the last three hours, um, which is awesome. That's like my favorite thing to do every week, actually. Each week, that's like the thing you love. Yeah, it's the thing I love more than more than anything else. It's the thing that the reason I love it is because it's like impossible to think about anything else when you're drawing. Like you're kind of locked into this uh, very, very, very hard thing, even though it feels simple. It's very difficult. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. What's it like? There's like some nude model in front of you. And then basically there's different kinds of poses, like as short as 30 seconds, as long as three hours. And you basically just draw. You try to kind of copy what's in front of you as fast as possible, you know, and as accurately as possible. And I guess, I guess, you know, as kind of visually interesting, it's really fun. You're not really encouraged to use your phone or anything like that. You know, you kind of have to, your brain is 99.9% .9 occupied with just like trying to measure angles and lengths and distances, you know, for like 30 minutes, you know, straight. So it's like, it's exhausting. It's like a workout, basically. So that's why I like doing it. it gets me out of the house and Drawing is also like, I know that if I go, I'll get better. It's kind of like going to the gym in that way or going running. Like you just have to show up and then you'll probably improve over time. Like business startups, like 
it's a little bit more of a up and down roller coaster. You know, it's not all up to you and how good you are at the skill and how many hours you put in necessarily. Versus drawing, it's kind of like mileage based much more than any other skill that I've I've tried. That's interesting. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, part of the minimalist entrepreneur is like, if you don't spend all your time running your business, then you can go do all these, these other random things that you may want to do, you know? And for me, that's, yeah, figure drawing. I do six hours a week. So three hours on Wednesdays and three hours on Thursdays is kind of my, my goal. That's like what I, sometimes I'll only go to one, but that's kind of my goal. What's it like to see someone naked? Honestly, it's totally normal. Like maybe the first time or, or so, you know, it's kind of weird, but at this point I've seen, you know, tons and tons and tons of people naked and it's very sort of, I don't know what the right word is, asexual or desexualized or something like that. Right. Where it's just, and honestly, you're too busy, like trying to draw the thing, like the stuff in front of you that you're not really paying attention to like what, you know, the, the goal is that if you, if you get good at drawing, like you don't even see the thing that's in front of you as in like, you don't recognize the symbol in a sense, you're just seeing the flat shapes and trying to copy down the flat shapes. And so, you know, the better you are, the like less that you even are thinking about the fact that, oh, there's a human being in front of you. You're thinking about like anatomy, bone structure, proportion, you know, value, gesture, like these five to six different things. You don't have time to think about, oh, there's like a naked person like in, in front of me. The other thing is like, it's just people. Like one, one thing I love about figure drawing is that like, it really helps with kind of like body image issues in my view, because you realize that like every person is so visually interesting. Like it doesn't matter. They could be ripped. They could be fat. They could be somewhere in the middle. Like every single body is like beautiful. Like you can make a good drawing of anybody basically. That was kind of cool to learn is like, oh wow. Like every, everyone, if you really look at them, it's pretty beautiful. Like the human body is like a pretty incredible creation, you know, like it took a while. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's kind of fun to be like, to really rock it. And yeah, yeah, there's like other things that I like about it. Like I like knowing anatomy. It's cool to be able to basically name most muscles in the body, most visible muscles in the body, at least the, you know, the ones that aren't in my feet and hands. Like I know most of the, their names and how they connect to each other. And it's not easy. I'm, I'm definitely can improve. You know, most people know their triceps and biceps and, and quads and hamstrings and stuff like that. Right. But knowing about like your soleus and like your, basically your two calf muscles and your back, you have your terrace major and terrace minor over here and your lats and your traps. And I don't know, it's kind of fun to just know, know who you are, you know, like this is you, right? Like you have these things, you may as well know what they are, right? Like, what are you capable of? And like, what are your limits? Like, well, a lot of that comes down to your anatomy, you know? So anyway, it's kind of random, but it's fun. Well, I think it's interesting. I guess the two questions I'm curious is one, would you pose naked to let people draw you? Not yet. Maybe in like six months drop five to 10 pounds, then I think I'll, I'll be comfortable doing it. But that is something I would like to do at some point. Like, I think it would be incredibly freeing to do it, you know, it's kind of like going on fear factor, you know, or something like that. I mean, I've talked to models and they're like, yeah, it's really the first couple of times you're super self-conscious and it's like, all these people are just look like straight up, like staring at you, right? Not just like looking at you, but like you are the, the subject of attention. But then, yeah, people say it's great after like, three, four times, like you kind of get used to it. And you don't really think about it anymore. So yeah, I would love to do it at some point. I'm afraid of being naked in front of other friends. So like I play squash on Thursdays. So lately I try to get naked in front of my friend, Joe. <laughs> 
And it's just like a little straight. <laughs> like in that locker room. Yeah. I'm like, Joe, look at my dick. Uh, I don't know. It's just kind of like under accepting yourself. And like, as you get older, you do care less. You're like, this is it. There's not more. There's not less. Yeah, it seems like, yeah, I go to the gym and you know, the old dudes are like, woo. And I'm like, man, that's awesome. I mean, think about like, you know, you go to the zoo. You don't think about like the fact that like all these animals are naked, right? Like, <laughs> or your dog or your cat or whatever. Like, it's just, you don't really think about it. It's like society, I think, has kind of like kind of made it a thing. And so it's kind of nice to kind of objectify is not the right word, right? But it's nice to kind of get rid of the societal kind of like, you know, like now if I see it like a naked woman, and this is like happens to me, like I'll be at like, I don't know, we'll go like, I'll be with my wife, like walking in like a farmer's market and like, there'll be some like interesting looking person. And I no longer think like, oh, that person's hot. You know, I'm like, oh, wow. Like, look at like the way that like her lats, you know, connect to her pelvis or something, you know, like that's. That's just what I pay attention to nowadays because I'm trying to get better at drawing all the time. So it's kind of cool to kind of not have to think so much about the kind of that side of things. I think it's kind of kind of fun. I guess the, the two other things I'm curious on is that how does everyone improve their attention? Right? Like one of the things I like that you said about this is that it's a thing for you that you're not able to even really have your mind wander. Like I noticed that in squash, a lot of physical activities mm-hmm. so like mountain biking. When I'm mountain biking, it's like you are nowhere. But like when I road bike, <laughs> my mind gets to go everywhere. And so I, I think in general, like in my meetings, a lot of my meetings, I used to be in like, and during this, I'd be like checking 18,000 things. And I've been actually reviewing myself after a lot of my meetings to, and it helps reinforce like, hey, you're not present in it. It's interesting that that's a, a space for you to do that. Yeah, totally. I mean, attention and endurance, you know, like it's definitely, mm. I remember the first time I went figure drawing. After like 10 minutes, I'm like, I can't do this. Like, I'm dead. I'm so tired. Really? Yeah. And then I got up to like three hours and like, you know, at the end of a three hour session, I'm like, wow, I'm burnt. And that's where I am like today. But there was a point when I was doing it 20 hours a week and all, you know, live models and I could do it for like, I would do six hours a day. And, you know, imagine like drawing for six hours, like a live model, like it's a lot, (laughs) but you get there, you kind of work at your skill and there's two kinds of endurance. There's like the sort of just time endurance, right? Like how long can you do the activity? But then there's also this kind of like, how much information over like, can you take at one time? And one thing I realized was like, when you start drawing, like, your brain just can't process what's in front of you, like it just freaks out, like it doesn't know where to look. And like, there's just so much information. It's like, if you ever try to paint a tree or something, like, there's like a million leaves literally in front of you, you're like, how do I even break this thing? How do I draw a tree? But then after a while, you you actually like your brain, I don't know exactly what the science is behind it, but your brain kind of does a lot of that kind of compression for you. Or like when you look at a tree, you're like, oh, these are like three big shapes. And then once you draw the three big shapes, then you can like fill in the details around it. I remember like distinctly when getting started, I was like, there's, I would look at a car, for example, cars are insanely difficult to draw. And any beginner that get tries to draw a car accurately, like after five, 10 minutes, they're like burnt out. You know, like they can't even concentrate anymore. But as you practice more and more and more, you'll be able to kind of look at a car and be able to like simplify it into its kind of major shapes. And like, as you're able to do that, you can like, you know, you can kind of do it longer. You know, the longer you do it, the faster you can kind of improve at those other things. And so it, there's kind of this like feedback loop that happens. It's probably like, you know, if you learn a musical instrument, like you look at a bunch of sheet music as a beginner, you're like, this is insane. Like, this isn't English to me. This is just like a foreign language, right? Whereas over time, you can almost like hear the music in your head when you look at, you know, when you look at it, right? And so that's the goal is you basically see the painting or see the drawing in your head. And then it's just a matter of like copy pasting the thing in your head 
accurately onto the thing in front of you. So yeah, it, it definitely taught me like the value of observation, the value of visualization as techniques that are like broadly applicable, even with entrepreneurship, like I think a huge amount of like observation is like a really important skill, right? If you're trying to solve a problem for a community, I know you talk about this in your, in your course, you know, you have to go kind of like figure out what problems people have. You kind of have to like figure out, okay. And, and you don't really do that. I think by asking people like, what problems do you have, right? Like that doesn't really work. You kind of have to like, just pay attention to groups of people and eventually you'd be like, oh, hmm, this is interesting. Like they keep running into this problem. They don't even know that they have this problem, but I could do this, you know, I could save them time or I could save them money or I could make their lives a lot easier. And so I think observation is like a really important, important skill. I mean, if you think about stand comedy, right? Like what is the thing that I would say like the the most important skill of a of a comedian is the observation ability, right? Like they're able to notice like a really funny pattern or coincidence or whatever, right? That like most other people would have looked at the same thing or had the same experience and not had the same kind of observation around that thing, right? That same insight. So I see it all over the place, ironically, as observation. As my observation improves, I start seeing the the skill of observation in more more places, but it's not really taught, right? Like it's not like you go to school and they're like, let's teach you how to like observe the world around you. Maybe it should be like, maybe that's like one of the fundamental skills that we don't really talk about. Dude, you're so fucking interesting. I love it. Thank you. Yeah, the other skill is like visualization is also like I I noticed that like, you know, if you think about blank page syndrome, right? Like or blank canvas or whatever, like writer's block, right? What I've found in my own personal experience is that when you have writer's block, it's you're unable to visualize like what's next, right? Like you have to write a blog post, but you have no you have an inability to visualize what's what's next. But as you write more and more and more, you're able to do that, right? You're able to kind of like type a sentence and then visualize basically like, oh, cool, I know where this is going now. I think it takes just doing it like you can't read a book on observation or visualization, right? You have to just do it. I really believe that it's a muscle, actually, like it is exercise, it is a muscle. You don't work out your muscles by reading books about working out your muscles, right? That doesn't really work. You don't get good at soccer by like watching people play soccer or squash, right? Uh, You have to do it because it's a full body exercise. I really believe that like drawing, painting, writing are effectively full body exercises in that way where like you can't intellectually get good at it. You literally just have to train your body end to end, you know, to kind of learn the skill. There's no real shortcuts in that way. Like you can't get stronger faster than your body central nervous system wants you to, you know, at least for now, maybe there's like some biohacks or something, but yeah, I can talk about this stuff forever. Yeah, then just keep going. <laughs> I, I did have some questions about it. I was curious, how do you, do you not care about money? That I loaded the question intentionally. I just had this feeling like you don't give a fuck about money, but that's me projecting maybe. Not projecting, but just assuming. Yeah, I mean, I do like money. If there's like a, you know, a million bucks that someone wants to give me, I'm not going to say no. But like, I don't think about money in the sense that like, it do- like there's no future in which I'm spending money. There's nothing I want to buy, right? Everything I want to buy, I have basically. If someone gave me a million dollars, like I would put it, I would probably invest it, I guess. Honestly, I'd probably buy a CryptoPunk or something, you know? Maybe that's like the one thing that I would buy right now. If I did have like a windfall, would be, you know, an NFT, like kind of get into that a little bit more. But again, it's kind of like an investment. It's not really, you know, it's like, I like investing money. I don't like spending money, you know? And I also hate things. To spend a lot of money, you have to like buy physical things like houses and cars and, paintings and other other things and then it just i don't know just kind of sucks like every time you move you have to like bring all this crap with you over time like i just don't really like that i think it's a personality thing. 
there's certain people that, you know, they have plants all over their house, right? And they just love plants all over their house. And like, I've never been a plant person. I've never owned a plant, you know? So I never even thought that you could own plants. Like, it's like, this is a thing that people do is you just like have plants in your house. Like that was, that's weird. Like I didn't have plants growing up as a kid, you know? I mean, money is interesting. and I, I do like it, but the thing that money gets you is the ability to kind of just say no to stuff. Like I think I have enough money where I don't really need to do anything anymore, which isn't that much money. I live pretty cheaply. I think my my monthly expenditure is around $4,000 a month all in. Uh, and around two of that is a mortgage. And then really, the, honestly, the rest of it is like eating out. It's probably what I spend the majority of my kind of disposable income on in terms of like fun stuff. And yeah, once you have that, you know, then it's kind of like, I don't need, as long as you can say no to stuff, you don't have to say yes to, you know, meet people you don't, you don't meet or like take jobs you don't want to take or whatever. Then, then like money, I think has much less purpose in your life. And then it just becomes about like, I think anytime you have money, it's just like, who can spend this better than you can, right? And then you just effectively, you become an investor, right? This is kind of what happens to a lot of our kind of peer group. They make a lot of money and then it's like, okay, who can I give this money to? The funny thing is they're trying to get rid of their money as fast as possible. And because of the kind of tech cycles that we're in now, it just comes back to you and you have even more and you're like, great, now I have even more money. Like, what do I do? Who wants it? Obviously, no, no complaints about that, but uh, it does seem to be kind of happening quite a lot. But yeah, my relationship with money is interesting. I'm still trying to figure out exactly like what, what my relationship with money is and should be. And even like why, you know, why do stuff for money at all? Because I do, you know, like I have a venture fund. I obviously run Gumroad and pay myself a salary. So like, but the thing that about money that's awesome is that everyone accepts it. You know, like it's nice to know that I can go anywhere in the world basically and, and have power, right? Like have influence and power and be able to get into things just kind of like, you know, based on, on having capital, which is nice knowing, knowing that I have that ability, right. Is nice. But for example, like we bought a cat. Can you say that? I bought a cat. That sounds weird. I'm team anti-cat for the record. We have a huge drama at our company now because I'm like, I like dogs, but I was like, yo, who likes cats? And then it turns out we have a lot of people that like cats at our company. I was not a cat person at all. And we got this cat and it's amazing. It's, it's like a drug basically. It's like a dopamine hit whenever you want one. You know, similar to a dog, probably not as, as crazy, but it was 50 bucks, you know, or something, something like that. And, I'm like, and this thing's going to be what, like 15, 20 years old before it dies. And it's like, what a deal, like 50 bucks for like a dopamine stress ball whenever you want it for 15 <laughs> years. Like what? That's amazing. So yeah, I just think that obviously people are talking about like the cost of education, the cost of healthcare, like all these things are going up in price, but a lot of things are, are like almost like they're getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, right? And so money is also kind of doing this weird thing where like in, in some aspects, you need actually a lot less of it than you used to. And then in, maybe in some other ones like education or, or healthcare or some of these, but it seems like, you know, pretty minimal things. And obviously like I don't need a ton of healthcare right now. I don't need a ton of traditional education right now. So like I don't have any of those costs, which is, yeah, you know, obviously that will change. I'll have kids and that will change quite a bit, but. It's always funny, like people say like, you know, it's like impossible to own a home in America and like it's getting so crazy and it's like total BS, honestly. The average home value in, in the US is like $250,000. Like if you get rid of San Francisco, LA, New York and Chicago, like I bought a house last year, it was $320,000. It's like a three bedroom. Are you 
Oregon? Yeah, in Oregon, Portland, Oregon. You know, metropolitan area, like 30, 40 minutes away from the airport, like three bedrooms, garage. Like I could die in this house. Like I don't need anything more than than three bedrooms. I mean, we honestly don't even use one of the bedrooms. It's just a guest room that's empty. <laughs> it's for the cat. <laughs> but yeah, I was like, I don't know. I'm like, and the mortgage was like 1900 or something like that. Plus like the interest rate on, on it is like two point something percent. So it's almost nothing. And it's like, I don't know. What, what is everyone complaining about? Do people not have like 1900 bucks to like, you know, when people say like, I can't live in SF, SF's too expensive. You know, you have to be making like $150,000 a year to live in San Francisco. And I'm like, really? Like, I know plenty of people who live in SF that make way less than that. Like they make $60,000 a year and they live in San Francisco. Like it's totally doable. I, I think, I think people are kind of like, like they're cutting out a lot of context in their sentence. I just disagree with them. If they believe that like housing is, is getting more and more expensive, like it's just not true. You know, if they say, you know, buying a house in SF is getting more expensive than yes, fair enough. But like, like, why would you do that? Like, why be in SF? Like, how, why is it that important to you? You know? Yeah. Well, I think two things that you highlight are really great is the cost or spend to entertainment ratio, right? Like we'll spend some things like without thought and we're like, oh yeah, whatever. And then you have a cap for $50 plus food and maintenance and all that stuff. But like, you're getting like an insane deal on that. Yeah. And then on these, I just think, I think we're not consistent with our rationality and how we evaluate these enjoyment of purchases. Totally. Yeah. I mean, like you go, you think about a movie is like 10, 15, 20 bucks or something now for like an hour and a half, two hours, which is, you know, most people, that's a great deal for them. Right. But a book is like 10 bucks and it's like 20 hours of entertainment, quote unquote. Right. And like a video game is like 60 bucks, but that's like 300 hours potentially, you know, like the hourly cost of, yeah, like being entertained or whatever, like you can find things that are insanely affordable. But I guess you have to want those things. Like there's certain people who just like, for example, if your favorite thing in the world to do is play golf or something, right? Then like, yeah. Like for example, with me, like it would be uh, oil painting. Like if you really want to get into it. Like I love drawing and I, I primarily draw and it's almost free. You basically buy a sheet of, of oh, yeah. effectively recycled newspaper called newsprint. It costs around five bucks for a hundred pages. So it's like 20 cents a page or whatever the math is on that, like almost free. And charcoal which literally charcoal is just burnt wood right and that's it that's all you need to draw with oil paints you need a little bit more right you need like an easel and medium and brushes and the oil paints themselves which are expensive and the canvas and like that adds up like you know you probably have to spend like 300 400 to minimum to like oil paint for your, your you know your first time ever and then every oil painting also costs money because every oil painting is around three to four dollars worth of materials in terms of the canvas and the oil paints like round so it's like real physical cost you know there are hobbies that are more expensive but nowadays with like digital painting and you know on procreate on your ipad and, and stuff like that like even that is kind of going away you know yeah you know when you buy a laptop i mean think about like you buy a laptop for like i don't know what a macbook pro costs today like 1500 bucks or 1200 bucks like that thing literally is priceless Right. Like if it was a million dollars to buy a laptop and that was the only, if that was the only <laughs> option, it was a, it was a million bucks. Like, sorry. Like, guess what? Like I would be 100% focused right now on earth on having a million dollars to buy a laptop. And so the fact that it's a thousand, it's like, wow, this is so much cheaper than what I believe it's worth. Right. Like it's such a good deal. It's a thousandth of the price of what I would, what I would pay for it. And so I think people don't really have that perspective. They're like, oh, things are getting so expensive. And I'm like, like, for example, you go to a fine dining restaurant. Personally, I would pay hundreds of dollars per plate. I just would because I, it's one of the most important things. Like, I would never give up 
going to a restaurant and eating out with friends. Like if a ribeye steak was all of a sudden $670 instead of $67, like I would still do it. I'm not going to not do it. And by the way, this will happen. Like I really believe inflation is totally happening and like it will, you know, fine dining restaurants will 10x in price over the next 10 years. Like I really believe that. And the reason is because we'll pay for it. I think we really will pay for these things. I think if you, I mean, if you think about the, the sort of food and beverage industry, right, it's terrible, right? Like everyone is complaining about it all the time. It's, it's not favorable to employees. Like it's not even favorable to the restaurant owners. Like no one really wins. So yeah, I think the answer is like where it's way too cheap. It's insanely cheap. Like I went to a restaurant and it was like phenomenal and it was like a three hour meal and I paid 40 bucks. And the, by the way, the ingredients probably would have cost me 20 bucks, you know? So for like the setting and the music and the, all of the work that goes into this, like it's such a good deal. It's incredible. Like life is full of these good deals, I think. Well, I like that you said that things are affordable more than people realize. And I think one of the things I've talked about in, in my YouTube and I try to encourage people are like, I want to make a million dollars. Like, well, what do you want? I want a house. Okay. What else? That you really don't need a million. You probably need like a hundred G's. And guess what? Then you don't have to have a shitty job. And then you could try to work. You could do drawings or, you know, for me, like boxing or biking, whatever the hell I'm doing in my free time. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I think that the number one important thing for me, at least, is, you know, how can I get to a place where I can spend my time however I want, right? Like to me, that is like the first level where you want to get to. And it's not about like having a million dollars. It's about how do I get to a place where if I wanted to draw for 20 hours a week, I have that ability to. Mm. That is far more important to me than like the amount of money in my bank account. Actually, once you have time, it's actually a lot easier to get rich because you can actually spend all your time playing much longer term games than most of kind of your peer group is willing to play, they're more likely to be in the hamster wheel. And so, yeah, it, it kind of is like, if you're willing to kind of defer trying to optimize in the short term for making money, right? Like if, if I wanted to do that, I guess I would have just gone and worked at like Google or something like that, right? But I took a path that allows me to now basically have 50 hours of free time a week, and I can spend that however I want. And like, that's going to make me like an amazing drawer, you know, like my goal, my goal is to basically be in the top 100 figure drawers alive. And I think I can do it because I think starting now and with my schedule, I will be able to put in in terms of hours in the top 100 alive. Like most people don't draw as much as I do, you know, like there are very, very few people, even even professionals that I talk to, right? They're like, you draw live from a model six hours a week, like, how do you do that? Don't you have a day job? And I'm like, nope, not really. <laughs> I have a job, but it's not really a day job or a night job. It's just a thing that I do sporadically. I can basically outcompete basically anybody because I have more time. You know, like, for example, like in the last year, Gumroad got to like 12 million ARR. I have a rolling fund with AngelList that, you know, that I'm investing in startups, $12 million a year. And I wrote a book for Penguin. Nice, dude. People are like, how the hell do you do all those things? And it's like, well, I really optimized my life so that I'm not stuck in meetings all day. You know, it turns out when you don't have 20 hours of meetings all day, you know, all week, like 20 hours is a long time. Like 20 hours is plenty of time to build a business or write a book. I don't think people realize like 20 hours a week is like a stupid amount of time. Think about any hobby. Almost nobody does any hobby 20 hours a week, right? So if you can figure out how to make 20 hours a week for yourself, then you can be in the top 0.1% of any activity. You know, if you can run 20 hours a week, you will be in the top 0.1% of runners, right? You can become a professional, but you can compete if you're able to run 20 hours a week. If you can paint 20 hours a week, you will be a master painter in 10 years. 
But yeah, getting to a place where you can do that is much like even when I talk to painter friends of mine and they're like, they're kind of jealous because I, when I paint, I paint in a way to make my painting skills improve, right? Like all I'm trying to do is improve at painting or drawing. That's my goal. So like, I'm just fully optimized for just getting better versus they are optimized for paying their bills with painting. And when you do that, you actually don't get better because what do you do? You, you do the thing that everyone knows you're already good at, right? But actually to get better, you should do things you're not good at. And this is why I hate jobs. Like I think jobs are a terrible way to get better at skills because actually they just, you kind of just hit your local maxima and then it's like, oh, you're really good at like designing iPhone apps. Like, cool. You're going to do that for the next 50 years of your life. And it's like, it's not that, that interesting. Um, if you want to be a really good designer, I think you have to kind of like do print and then do websites and do, do iOS, but like which, which company is going to allow you to do that? Like, I can't think of one you effectively always have to specialize as an employee, right? You're always going to be asked to do the thing you're good at because you're, you're getting paid to do the thing that you're good at, not the things that you're bad at, right? The only way to solve it is, I think, to like, yeah, be your own boss effectively. Like figure out some way to be financially independent so no one can tell you what to do and then you can spend your time at whatever skill you want to get, get good at. That's my North Star. Like I want to be an amazing writer. I want to be an amazing painter. I want to be an amazing drawer. You know, those are my goals. Um, which maybe is why money doesn't really factor in because those things don't really require like a lot of money, you know? Oh, so I want to, I want to take a step back one super fucking fascinating two things around your schedule. Can you walk into your schedule? Yeah. I mean, it's different every day. Like walk me through like today and then this week for you, like in, in detail. Yeah, sure. Let me, let me actually open up my calendar so I can literally tell you. So today was interesting. So I tweeted out two days ago, I think that I, I live in Portland now which I actually moved here a year and a half ago, right before the pandemic, but I pretended that I didn't so I could actually meet up with people now. Um, but I had a couple coffees. So people just DM me on Twitter. So I, you know, I drove to this bagel shop and had coffee 845 in the morning uh, with one person and then 930 with another person. Then I had a phone call, 30 minute phone call with someone who looking for advice on the creator economy. And then it was, you know, 1130, I think at that point. And then I drove to figure drawing and then figure drawing from 12.30 to 3.30. And then I drove 30 minutes home for this podcast. And I'll do this until five or so. And then I'll go pick up my wife from work. And then we'll go grocery shopping and cook dinner. And then laze around. Play Rocket League, probably. Dude, Rocket League. Rocket League is amazing. And then tomorrow is different. You know, tomorrow I have a, I'll probably go for a run or go to the gym. And then... I have a podcast interview at 9.30. Then I have a couple, three phone calls from 11 to 12.30. And then I have figure drawing again from one to four. And then I'm going to go pick up dinner and then come home. And again, you know, play Rocket League. <laughs> I got to get in my Rocket League. But uh, it's, it, honestly, it's like pretty empty. On it. Like it's, it's like figure drawing, you know, for three hours on Wednesdays, three hours on Thursdays, and then going to the gym three or four times a week in the mornings, dropping my wife off at work at eight in the morning and picking her up at five. That's my structure. And within that, I can kind of do whatever I want. That gives me my framing of like, okay, I have until 4.45 to be productive and stare at a computer and focus and get my work done. Like whatever that may be, that might be like, you know, trying to like do podcast interviews or like promote my book or like send emails or respond to stuff. I think the big thing that isn't in my calendar is meetings, like Gumroad internal meetings. Like there are no Gumroad internal meetings and that is really, I think, like the superpower because there's that funny image I saw that was like, 
you know, if you have one scheduled call in your day, your day is ruined, right? Like you can't stop thinking about it before it happens and you're stressed out after it happens or whatever, even though the call might be 15 minutes. And so getting rid of scheduled meetings, like Gumroad scheduled meetings, like it's great because you can wake up and you can just work without having to think like, oh, I have like a call coming up in two hours, right? It's a lot easier to get into flow state, I think, when you don't have meetings like sort of appearing throughout the day. Tell me more about that. So does no one meet at Gumroad? How do you communicate? Yeah, so basically we communicate entirely in writing over Slack, Notion, and GitHub are our three communication tools. GitHub is kind of like the daily stuff. Slack is kind of like the hourly stuff. And then Notion is kind of like the weekly stuff. It's kind of like the simple framing around it. And, you know, every once in a while, there's like Loom videos and and things like that. But yeah, basically no meetings. Maybe they happen, like people are welcome to meet. I'm not going to fire anyone for like secretly meeting with somebody else. But I personally don't have any meetings. And I tell everyone the expectation is I'll get back to any question in 24 hours. So no one knows what my schedule is like, right? Like no one knows when I work, when I don't work. I don't know when anyone else works. Like I don't pay attention to that. It just doesn't matter. Like I don't care. I actually don't even care how much you work or how little you work, right? Like we pay every single person in the company hourly. So, you know, if you worked less, great. You know, you'll get paid less. If you work more, you'll get paid more. So it's very freeing in that way where you're not thinking about, oh man, it's like December and like half the company is taking three weeks off. And, you know, I remember those feelings that, you know, when Gumroad was kind of in more of a life or death situation, now Gumroad's profitable and, you know, we run the company in this really kind of different way. And it's awesome. Yeah, like I don't have to give my calendar up to anybody else. I can fill it with the things that I want to fill it with. And it makes it so much easier. Like, it's so funny. Like, like my book comes out in 13 days, October 26th. And I was talking to someone about it. And she's like, yeah, you should really do podcast stuff. Like, I don't know if you have time, honestly. Like, you seem really busy with all this stuff going on. And I literally, I was like, I have so much free time. People don't believe me. Like, I wrote a book. I have a rolling fund. I run a company. And I tweet, I guess, like, if that counts. And like, I have so much free time. And that's free time between like nine to five. I have free time. I have, you know, two to three hours minimum of free time every day. But then if you think about like 5 p.m. to, you know, when I sleep at like 11, that's like another potential six hours per day of time that I could do stuff with. So like I have plenty of time. I think the thing that actually people really like, they think that they have a time management problem or they think they're running out of time every day. But truthfully, most people have plenty of time unless you have like multiple kids and all these these sorts of things obviously kind of changes. but. I think most people are actually running out of energy. And so they're kind of mapping their lack of energy to mine being like, if I'm running out of energy doing what I do, there's no way you have enough energy to do all the things that you do. But they don't realize that like, there's not a one to one mapping of energy consumption per task, right? Every task takes up a different amount of energy. Like when I go figure drawing for three hours, I gain time, right? Like I gain more than three hours of productivity, because I showed myself that I can do something really difficult. And then my life on tech stuff like is is a breeze because it's like wow i don't have to draw like i can just code i can just manage people i can like literally everything that i do it's kind of like going to the gym right like you go to the gym and you squat 250 pounds you can do anything after that you know like you can go to work and kill it because you you did a thing that you didn't even have to do you chose to do, put yourself under the like, suffer effectively for no reason and then you know you can execute on all these other things with that level of confidence so i just pick things that give me energy like VC, for example, I know VCs who, who get burnt out all the time because they spend over half their time talking to LPs. You know, they have institutional LPs, they have, you know, bi-weekly calls with, 
They have to kind of write all these notion memos for every investment that they invest in. You know, they have to compile all this data. They have to do these quarterly admin reports, blah, 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 like all this sorts, you know, sort of stuff. I don't have to do any of that. Like I, as a VC, all I have to do is like respond to my email and Zoom meet with founders for 30 minutes and then give them $100,000 and then move on with my day. And so I never run out of energy. Like I, you know, because I have got rid of all the stuff that takes it up for me, right? And the same thing with Gumroad, same thing with, with the book, like you find the stuff and that's kind of a theme of the book, which is like find the things that you don't really like doing. And then this is why money is awesome. Pay people. <laughs> you can pay people to do this stuff for you, right? And then you don't have to do it anymore. Like if I, I don't like doing support, right? For government, I hate doing customer support. Luckily, I don't have to do customer support because I can hire multiple people to do customer customer support for me. And maybe those people actually like doing it, you know? So great, awesome. And so, yeah, I think sort of trying to maximize for energy, I think is like, a instead of time, I think is probably like a pretty important lesson that I think a lot of people might not be grokking. Do people on your team have meetings? I think sometimes, yeah. Like, I think the design team has random meetings that seems more collaborative. And every once in a while, we'll have like an external project. So there'll be more meetings and like, you know, we'll spin, if we're spinning up like, a payments, like, I don't know, something that requires like a banking partner or some sort of external third party, then we'll have meetings around that. But not that I know of, honestly, people, I think will use the word meeting a little differently at Gumroad, because it might just mean like a Slack chat for 15 minutes, you know. But yeah, what I tell people is like, you're welcome to meet. I have no problem with other people meeting, but I'm never going to require meetings. And I will never want to be in them. <laughs> if I if I can avoid them, like I'm, I would love to avoid them. I just don't believe that meetings are efficient. I just don't really believe that they're necessary, like literally almost ever, you know? If you enjoy them, great, do them all you want, right? But they're one of those things that gets rid of my energy, right? Like if I have three hours of meetings I don't want to be in, then yes, I will run out of energy by noon. And then I will have no energy left to do figure drawing or any of the other things that I want to do, you know? So I think it's really important to figure out like what are the things that you really, like really drain your energy and then figure out how you can stop doing those things, right? And that might just literally, for someone, that might just be their nine-to-five job, right? Like they show up to work, and then they're burnt out at the end of the day, and then they can't start a, a business because they have no energy, you know? And they just want to, like, laze around, right? And so, like, you should think deeply about, like, okay, can you find a job that maybe it even pays way less, right? Or maybe it's, like, three or four hours a day, but it doesn't sap your energy completely, like when I moved to Provo, Utah, I took a science fiction fantasy writing class by Brandon Sanderson, who's like one of the best writers of all time. Oh, did he really? Oh, I love that yeah. guy. Oh, he's awesome. He's awesome. And But he, after college, he said that basically he knew he wanted to be a full-time writer. Like that was his goal. And so he got a job, which was a the front desk person at like a, either a library or a hotel or something like that, right? Like basically the clerk, you know, like the, the night person, right? So like from like two in the morning until 10 a.m. So like basically... All he had to do was show up. So he picked this job because he knew it was the best way for him to write for like six to seven hours a day. He picked a job just for that. That was what he was optimizing for. And now he's an incredibly successful writer. And my guess is being able to write six hours a day uh, and effectively get paid for it indirectly, you know, six hours a day, you know, that's more writing than any writer I know does, right? And he was able to do it without being a professional writer. And so, it really like kind of stuck with me. Like there is definitely a pattern there where if you can ultimately every skill, you know, requires a lot of time, a lot of mileage and a lot of energy, and you have to make time and energy for that. 
I remember like I wanted to learn how to draw and I just like the only way I was able to learn how to draw was literally to stop running Gumroad as a startup because I never had enough energy to do any of those things. Like, do you worry about competition or how do you think about hiring? The most important thing is I don't care about growth. I don't care about if Gumroad grows or doesn't grow. And that's been true ever since I published that reflecting on my failure to build a billion dollar company article, which I published specifically because I was like, I'm happy with Gumroad now. Like it can literally die and I will be totally content. Like I got what I wanted out of Gumroad. Like I basically wrote that essay as kind of like a goodbye to the startup industry. Ironically, didn't work. <laughs> but it was really like I got, you know, I had this journey and I spent eight years and I learned a bunch of stuff. And here's my kind of like lessons. And like now I'm going to go be a writer and a painter, literally. Like when I hit publish on that thing, I was basically writing and painting all the time and I was not doing any startup stuff. And then that actually kind of started this whole kind of wave of, of startup stuff for me again, which is kind of interesting, I guess. But yeah, I, I think I don't care about growth. And when I don't care about growth, then I don't care about competition. I don't care about hiring, at least at a certain rate. I can just optimize for like, what's the fastest, most scalable way for me to do these sorts of things. Like for hiring, all I do is I tweet and then a bunch of people apply and we all hire a couple of them. And it is what it is. Like we'll either hire three amazing people or 15 amazing people, just how many people apply that are amazing. As long as the company is profitable, right? Like as long as the company is not going to die completely, then it doesn't matter to me, right? There's basically two things that I optimize for. And I, I talk about this kind of in the book, like, one, profitability, because if you're profitable, then, you know, you can kind of do whatever you want. It's kind of like oxygen in that way. And then the other thing is a better product. Like, I just want to improve the product. I just want to make the product better and better and better. I don't even care if anyone uses it. Like, I just want the product to be really, 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 really good. Like, let's just make this product absolutely amazing. Kind of like an art project. I believe that if we do that, like, I think the company will end up growing. But I kind of basically just like as an identity or even as like a sort of portfolio, like I just decided like Gumroad is not is a zero to me. Like I can diversify and I can like do all these other things because Gumroad basically has no power over over me anymore. And that's pretty powerful. And I'm sure I don't run it as efficiently as I could. I'm sure I could grow it faster, but I just, I choose not to. And, you know, for example, even when I raise money, I raise money in a very different way. I raised a $5 million crowdfunding round from 7,300 people because I wanted to run Gumroad in this different way. And I knew that VCs would not be cool with me doing it this way. But I would like some money so I can hire some more people so that the product can improve faster. And cool, boom, there's a way to do this now, crowdfunding, which effectively means I can write an email, do a one-hour Zoom meeting, upload it to YouTube, and then raise $5 million from 7,331 people in 12 hours. You know, And like I spent two hours raising 5 million bucks. Like Very few people can do that. Even the hottest startups, you know, spend dozens of hours trying to put together a round, right? Because you have to meet all these people and uh, meet their partners and this and that and like all that kind of stuff. Whereas what I do is I just pick a price that I think is fair. So I don't have to negotiate with anyone. And I say, look, I believe that the company is worth, you know, a hundred million dollars. Nice round number. Take it or leave it. And if you have questions, don't invest, right? Like I'm not going to answer your questions. You like you're either a hell yes or a no. And if you're not a hell yes, I don't care. Like, I don't care who invests in Gumroad. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter to me. I'm sure it matters a little bit. I'm probably being a little bit too aggressive in my words, but I aspire for it not to matter, I guess, right? Like, my goal is for it not to matter, which sometimes it bites me, like, in the ass. Like, certainly I'm not the best salesperson. Like, I have LPs who want to join my rolling fund all the time. And, 
you know, question they asked was like, how do you filter LPs? Like, what are the qualifications? Like you have like a, you know, I don't know, like a popular fund. And I literally just tell them like, I don't care. Like, just give me as much or as little money as you want, if you want to give it to me, and then I will invest it into a bunch of startups for you. And that's our relationship. Like, I don't, like, why does your job or your background matter to me? You know, all that matters, honestly, is how much money can you give me? Because that's how much money I can go invest in a new startup, right? But I think that rubs a lot of people the wrong way because they think that like, oh, like life is about building relationships with people and this and that. I'm like, no, I'm an incredibly transactional person. Like I love meeting people. I love doing all these sorts of things, but I, I ultimately just love helping people get what they want out of their life. I don't need to like schmooze and small talk and do all these other things, right? So that's the way that I operate at least. But yeah, certainly some LPs, they're like, they want to build relationships. That's why they're investing. I don't want those people. I want the people who are investing in me because they want, they think that I'm going to, you know, do really well. And they don't care if I run Gumroad or not. Like all they know is that they think I'm going to invest well. And that's great for me because then all I have to do is invest well. Like I don't have to do anything else. I can just do what I said I was going to do. And I don't have to do all the other crap that a lot of these folks end up having to do that ultimately I think actually ends up hurting their returns because they don't have as much energy as I have. And you need it. I think to be a good investor, like you need energy. I mean, you need to be like talking to founders and it takes a real, you know, work to kind of do a lot of that stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, two things and I'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up. So I know you have a, a, you're really busy with Rocket League tonight. You have the semi, <laughs> semi, semi-final of the Northwest Championship Series. You know, this is something I've thought about that soon. I'm curious your thoughts here is, have you thought about selling Gumroad and, and how does it associate with your current identity? Yeah, I have. I have thought about it. And I, I suspect that in the next couple of years, I probably won't be at least CEO of Gumroad. Like I'll probably be chairman or something like that. Probably kind of, you know, like kind of like what Naval did with AngelList, right? Where he was the CEO for a long time. And then, you know, it turns out Naval also doesn't want to work 60 hours a week, but AngelList probably needs a CEO that does right now. And so he found someone who's amazing. Avlok's an awesome, awesome guy. And, you know, he works like a machine, I assume, I don't know, but I assume just based on like, kind of like the trajectory of Angelus last 18 months, like he probably works like a dog. And so, yeah, I'll probably find someone who, you know, will run Gumroad and then I will be able to focus on other stuff. I just don't have the other stuff yet, you know? So, and the, the other thing is like, I am CEO of Gumroad, but like, and I, I've had friends tell me this where they're like, look, the way that you do this seems to work. Like it might even work better than if you did have like a full-time professional CEO run the business because you kind of can do weird stuff that like most other people wouldn't be comfortable doing, right? You kind of have principal agent problem all of a sudden when you have like an external CEO who doesn't have like the confidence or the track record to kind of just do crazy weird stuff, which you kind of need to do if you're trying to do interesting things, right? As a startup. So I'm like, why not be a part-time CEO? Like, why can't I be CEO of Gumroad and then also do all this other stuff? Like Elon Musk seems to do it. I don't know what how much Tesla's worth. He's literally running multiple hundred billion dollar plus companies, right? He's running two of them. Seems to work. I don't know how, but it seems to work. Or Jack Dorsey, right? He's running Square, which is a hundred something billion dollar company, and Twitter, which is like a seventy five billion. I mean, also seems to work, right? Like, I think ultimately as a CEO, like if time is your bottleneck, if you're running up to the limits because of your time, you're probably just a shitty CEO, to be honest, right? Like you're probably not hiring well enough. You're probably not delegating enough. You know, you're not comfortable enough just saying, just deal with it. You know, like it doesn't matter, right? Like I think that was a really important moment for me was to stop approving and rejecting everything to say, look, you're the design, you're the head of design. 
I'm going to give you feedback as like, you know, asynchronously, I'll like hop into Figma and just like comment on a bunch of stuff and then bounce, you know, it could be two in the morning. Like I, you have no idea when it's going to happen, but ultimately it's like, you know, it's up to you. It's your department. It's your, it's now your area of res- responsibility. And like my function, I really only do two things at, at Gumroad. Or maybe I would say three things at Gumroad. One is like just weird ideas that I'm like, Hey, what if, like, I have resources I can just say, hey, designers and engineers, like, let's prototype this weird new new thing. It has nothing to do with Gumroad even. But really, I just do two things, which is hiring and raising money. Maybe marketing, I guess, as well. But really just hiring and raising money. Like all, you know, every year I'll probably raise a $5 million regulation crowdfunding round or something like that, which will take three hours. Like it won't take that much time. I've already done it once now. And I hire people. And the way I hire people is every quarter I just tweet, we're hiring. And then I get a few hundred applicants and we pick you know, one to three percent of them to hire, and then I'm done for you know for three months, and that's all I do. You know, as long as you hire really, really well, and as long as you have the money to hire really, really well, then ideally you shouldn't be doing that much. And honestly, like I, I know tons of insanely successful CEOs who are like you know very famous, like running very popular startups or whatever. Like someone told me recently, he runs a multi billion dollar you know unicorn whatever private company. In SF, and he's like, I just literally spend eight hours a day scrolling Instagram because everyone works from home because of COVID. And I sit in on all these meetings, but I'm effectively on mute. You know, I just have to kind of like listen in, you know, all day, every day. But I'm just on Instagram, like just scrolling Instagram. Like that's all I do. And I'm like, maybe that's the right thing for you to do. But like, I wish you could just say that, right? Like, I think the thing that I do that I think a lot of other CEOs don't do is I actually tell people that I don't work a lot. Like there are a lot of other people who probably don't work a lot, but they can't say it because they don't want their VCs or their employees or whatever to like get upset or, or whatnot. But with me, I'm like fully transparent about it. Like my goal is to work as little as possible on government. And that's just what I communicate to everybody. It, I communicate it to the employees. I don't even have employees, I guess, all the contractors. I communicate it to the investors in the crowdfunding round. Like this is how I run Gumroad. So don't invest, don't work at the company, don't sign up for something unless you know exactly what you're signing up for. And that allows me to do all these other things. But actually, I think a lot of other kind of CEOs could run rolling funds or write books or do all these sorts of things. But it would signal to people like, oh, wait, I thought he was working 60 hours a week, but it turns out he wasn't because he wrote a book in you know, his free time or whatever. Whereas for me, it's like, no one should believe that I work more than 20 hours a week on Gumroad because like I've said that I don't multiple times, you know? And it's not marketing. It's not like me trying to sound cool. It's like true. Like this week, I'll probably work on Gumroad like, you know, eight to 10 hours, probably. And most of that probably is just giving feedback, you know. What's interesting with hours, though, is that there's also quality of hours. You know, I remember people working at Intel for 40, 50 hours a week. And I was like, what did you actually do this week? Yeah, that's about one hour of actual work. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, seriously. So it's like, well, then do one hour of work and then fuck off, you know, go do other stuff. You're inspiring me, man. I love it. I love it. It's definitely getting me to reflect on because I came back to be CEO of AppSumo about four months ago, and it's been, a, it's been an amazing, challenging, rewarding experience. I think it's figuring out how do I really want the company to be for, for the team and for myself. There's a lot of meetings, but I don't think all meetings are bad. Like I, I had a date a few days ago, and I was like, this is technically a meeting <laughs> that I really, you know, we get to make out in. Like, that's a great meeting. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Yeah, you got to find out what works for you, right? And everyone's going to have a different sort of set of things that they care about. And some people love meetings, you know, like I have friends who are like, I want to go back to the office immediately. I want to hang out with everyone. I want to hug everyone. I want to go to happy hours. I want to go to meetups. I want to do all that stuff. And I'm like, no, like I'm good. (laughs) Like, 
I love the pandemic. Like I love not having to fly and travel and I can just hang out over Zoom. I don't have to, I don't have to like, you know, like that you go to a coffee shop and you're like in line awkwardly, like waiting for coffee. And like, you see the person you're supposed to meet with and you kind of wave and you're like, I'll see you in like eight minutes while this barista makes my freaking matcha oat milk latte thing. And it's like, now it's like so efficient, you know, it's like, boom, talk. Hey, what's up? Get a podcast. See you later. Yeah. It's like amazing. I do love it as well. I think what I like, what I love about you, love it, I love is that I think you've accepted yourself in a way that I admire and I, I'm working on in just different ways. And I appreciate that you, it really seems like you're creating the life you really want to live, not the life you should live. Yeah. Well, there's a chapter in the book, build the house you want to live in, Yeah, which is about kind of culture and hiring. But the, the goal is not, I think, to cater the company to like other people. It's to figure out what you want and then find people who also want that, right? Like I have people who work at Gumroad who literally like they could be making, I don't know, 4X what they're making at Gumroad if they worked at Google or Facebook, but they hate meetings. Like they literally were, are like, I don't care about the product. I don't care about anything. Like all I care about is that I just never want to be in a meeting ever again. And I don't know why, like, I don't know what drives them, you know, but they just hate me and cool, me too. So like, you know, come work here. It's a perfect fit, you know? But yeah, but it requires a level of, I don't know if it's pride or confidence or or something like that, but it's, you know, it requires being honest with everybody. Like, look, like most CEOs would probably be uncomfortable if disclosing their calendar to, to the world, right? But I could screenshot my calendar and put it on Twitter and I don't care. The only reason I don't, frankly, is because it's like other people's privacy at risk, right? Like if I could live stream my whole nine to five or whatever, like I totally would, but I just can't because I, you know, there's emails and full names and phone numbers and addresses and all these sorts of things. But that's just who I am. Like, that's just like what my personality is. And it's been like this, you know, for, you know, since I can remember, like, I've always been super like an overshare, you know, like Kim Kardashian, like, I just like sharing. I mean, I, I think you're similar too. It's like, did you get a response? It's fun. Yeah, it's fun. And then when people, it's fun and you get, when people don't share, I'm like, what, what do you have to hide? And by the way, no one cares. They care about themselves the most. Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of a little bit makes life more interesting. Exactly. Exactly. One final thing, when and how do you think about these things? So when you're thinking like, hey, my North Star is this, or like, I want to go be a top hundred drawer, or I want Gummer to be like this, like, I don't need to know the book you read or like the computer you use, but is it like you create the space for that that thinking? Is it you write it out? I'm always kind of curious how people get to these level of conclusions. Yeah, honestly, I when I literally just run out of things to do and I'm like at inbox zero everywhere and I just don't know how to spend my time, I just open up my notion. I have this notion page called to-dos and it's just my personal kind of to-do list. And I just like, just mess around. Like I just throw random ideas in there and I just kind of like reorganize stuff. And like, it's like maybe two or three years worth of to do's. Like, for example, one of the things in there is I want Gumroad to be liquid, right? Which basically means people can buy and sell Gumroad stock, just like public company or crypto or but like without, or maybe with going public and stuff. But like, that's a goal that I have. I just think it's important. And I think it'd be fun. And I just have like a thing that's like, and so I'll just go in there and I'll be like, how do I, you know, like I'll just type subtasks and be like, what, what does this actually look like? It's like, what steps can I start taking now to kind of get closer to that? Right. It's like, oh, I should probably get in front of Robinhood and say, Hey, have you guys thought about ever supporting, you know, private secondaries for a non-accredited? It's like totally regulated everything. Like, would you ever support that? Right. Or late at night, I'll just go in and I'll just kind of like think about stuff. Right. Like I'll just hang out and just like, think like, what would be fun? You know, what would be fun to do? I had this idea called DIYPO, 
which is basically a like Stripe Atlas for IPOing. I told someone, I was like, I have this idea, like I want to build a SaaS product that literally just helps, you know, small companies IPO, you know, with a click of a button or something, ideally, right? Because why not? Like why, you know, like if it was that easy to go public, like maybe more people would do it. And she was like, you're insane. Like, why would you want to go public? Like, why would you want to take Gumroad public? And I'm literally, I'm just like, because I'll learn stuff. Like, I don't know. Why not? <laughs> like, what if the stock crashes? I don't care. It doesn't matter. So I just I kind of am driven by like kind of exploring and doing new and weird things. And I'm kind of at the intersection of like venture capital, democratizing VC, founder, creator economy. I think I get to kind of be at this apex where it's like all these forces are kind of coming together. And it's really kind of a frontier, right? Like it's literally kind of like the bleeding edge. It's like stuff's changing all the time. It feels like, honestly, it feels like being like mining for gold, like the day that, you know, gold was found in California. It feels to me like it's so early in all of these different ways. Like, you know, like software, for example, is probably, I assume, going to be an industry in a hundred years. And so therefore it's de facto early. If you believe that software is going to be around for a hundred years, then we're only like 10, 15, 20 years into it, right? It's probably going to be a lot around a lot longer than a hundred years or iPhone development probably, I assume that we will have phones and we will need developers. So like I started coding iPhone apps in 2010, which literally was a year, you know, a year after the first non Apple employee also did. Right. So I'm a veteran, you know, if, if iPhone development is a hundred year old industry at some point, I will have been one of the first ever. And it turns out if you're first, you know, you plant some seeds and you earn some equity and, and capital, like you will do very, very well in your life. And so it's kind of fun. Like, that's kind of how I think about my North Stars and things like that nowadays, where I'm like, what can I do that no one else can do? Like, what am I uniquely positioned to do? Like drawing is kind of like that as well. Like, I have this unique ability to draw decently well, like I probably have some talent. But more importantly, I have way more time to draw than anyone that I've ever, ever met. And I want to, like, I, I genuinely enjoy it. So I'm like, cool, I have a goal. And I know I can achieve it to be one of the best. And I know I know because I follow every amazing figure drawer on Instagram. There's not that many people because, you know, the reason is no one makes a living figure drawing. So it's very difficult to dedicate 20 hours a week to something that you, you know is never going to have money unless you're financially independent, right? Which most artists are not, right? And actually, like the best figure drawers in the world are their teachers because teaching is the only way to draw from a model multiple hours a week. Everyone else is doing a day job right? They're painting from photos or, you know, whatever, they're doing something uh, that isn't drawing a live model, because drawing a live model is never going to make you any money. No one's ever going to buy like a charcoal on newsprint drawing a mine, right? Maybe one day or something, but like, not anytime soon. And so there's just literally no, no competition. Like I'm competing with a bunch of figure drawing teachers at like the top 10 schools for this skill in the world. And so, yeah, like I will get there, you know, five years, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, like I assume that I will be considered a master effectively at this craft. What will I do with that? Nothing, <laughs> you know, like it's not, it's not like I have some grand plan where like once I'm a master, I will, I don't even know. Like, I, I don't know what you do with this skill. I just, I'm purely doing it for the journey, you know? God damn, I like you, dude. I do need to get going, but uh, can we just do like a monthly podcast? Yeah, we should. I'm totally down to do it. Yeah, I love you. Rant. Just fucking riff, and I just listen, and I'm like, because I took some notes for myself, but I don't know. Maybe it's helpful for you to hear. Maybe not. I don't know. But like, I was just like, yeah. Well, I like the question is like, what are the areas that I love doing at AppSumo with maximum energy, and what are areas that like honestly, I'm just not. You don't need me there. Like, I had a meeting today, and it was nothing bad, but it was like a meeting of a meet. We're supposed to have meetings 
Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I just yeah. don't like this stuff. And it's not bad, but it's, I think it's also accepting that I don't like it and finding that there are people that do and then be like, you do it. Yeah. Enjoy it. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, if you love it, awesome. I think that's important. Like, I think a lot of people say, if I say I hate meetings, you know, some people will think that I, I mean, meetings are bad. No, I just hate meetings personally. Like, it's like venture capital, right? Like, it's like, do whatever you want. I'm just saying this is the way that I am choosing to live my life. And I'm literally, I'm not trying to convince anybody. I have stopped trying to convince people of anything for years. All I'm doing is sharing my perspective. And yeah, I don't care. Like, if you change your mind, cool. Like, you know, awesome. But that's not my goal. You know, my goal is just to share, you know, like, for example, like the book, like I wrote this book, and I'm done. I did the thing I wanted to do, which is I wrote a book, and it seems to have happened. And like, hopefully it does well, like, I'm, you know, it would be cool, uh, certainly, but like, I'm done. I'm satisfied. Like I got what I wanted out of the experience, which maybe Penguin doesn't want to hear, <laughs> you know, maybe they're like, wait, what? You should be doing like 500 podcasts right now. And you should be doing this. And you should be like, whatever. And I'm like, do you know who I am? Like you, you signed the book deal with me. Like, you know, uh, <laughs> like, have you not read the book? <laughs> the book is about not launching, not getting obsessed about numbers and trying to hit New York Times bestseller lists. Like it's about playing the long game and building community. And that's my approach. And that's what I'm going to do. And I do think it's going to work because ultimately people can detect if you're being honest, you know, about the way that you operate. And ultimately, I think that that shows itself after a while. I think it's it's like everyone's figuring it out. And I think it's just finally getting to a point where, which is what I like about you and admire and like being okay and embracing what you figured out about ourselves. And as you get older, we've, we were figuring new things out, but also just being like, this is the stuff that comes along with Noah or Stephanie or Matt or Max, yeah. whatever that is. And like, that's me. Yeah. And they can be flaws. They can be strengths, but like just being comfortable with what they are. Like I have tons of flaws, you know, like I'm too contrarian. I have a bias towards just being annoying, like, because I'll just take the opposite side. Like that's just a bias that I have. I, again, it goes back to fun. Like I just find it more fun to argue like with the status quo you know, so I do. But yeah, just, you know, just be honest with yourself. And and like, you know, it's nothing bad or good. It just it is what it is, you know. And that's kind of important, I think, too, is like, when you get rid of the morality, when you get rid of right or wrong, it just it is what it is. There are meetings, there's VC, there's this, there's that. It's all fine. You just live the life you want to live. Because ultimately, like, there's no real report card, there's no, there's no grade you're going to get at the end of this, you know, so, you know, take the classes you want to take. There's no end. It's like done. <laughs> uh, there's no. There's nothing at the end of the tunnel. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. You know, enjoy the tunnel. Or maybe there is, but you know, no guarantees. I think that's the power part. But uh, enjoy the tunnel and Rocket League. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Take care. You too, man. Good seeing you. Bye. Well, that is a wrap. I hope you love the episode. And if you're as inspired about Sahil and his story, check out the Minimalist Entrepreneur on Amazon. Next, text a friend you love him. Yo, dog, let's go draw some cats together. I'm literally going to a naked drawing class based on Sahil's recommendation. <laughs> and before you go, tweet at me at Noah Kagan and let me know what you thought of this episode. Also, I wanted to give a shout out to my producer's podcast, Backstage Careers. So if you've ever been curious, all the things that are going behind the scenes of your favorite online entrepreneurs, there's so many interesting stories about it from Naval, Gary Vee, Tom Bilyeu, and even me. Check it out, Backstage Careers podcast. Also, go subscribe to my newsletter, sendfox.com slash Noah. If you already heard this crap and you're like, nah, dude, I'm already subscribed with me alone, then ignore this part. But if you're not, sendfox.com slash Noah. Finally, a couple plugs to my amazing team, jasonpodcasttech.com. I always want to say .net or mess up your URL so people can't find you and hire you away. But honestly, 
The world is a free place. You do such amazing work. I appreciate you every single time. Thank you to Mitchell, Jerby, George, Hubert, Sasa, and Jen from the Dork Team. Y'all make everything in my life so much more amazing, and the audience and everyone is benefiting from all of your greatness. Finally, a shout out to Chris Shelsey, Luke Evan Walker, Nick, Chris Gurion, Mitchell, Amanda, Michelle, Happy, and JR at AppSumo. They put out an amazing $1 million Black Friday fund campaign. It's performing and doing so amazing. There's also Kellen and just a lot of other people across AppSumo. Uh, but thank you for the partner marketing team and everyone else at Making It Magic. Have a meaningful day. Who's your favorite modern artist? I'd really love to know, by the way. I'm looking for new art. Hit me up at Noah Kagan on Twitter. Love you. Bye-bye.